Lift up your name above every name. Every name that would rule over our lives. Every name that would rule in this place today. Every name. We've come to lift up your name and exalt your name. Over the name of any sickness and disease. Over the name of any any strife in our families. Over the name of confusion. Over the name of discouragement over the name of every form of bondage, addiction, whether it's drugs or alcohol or anything else that Satan holds us captive by. We've come to honor and to lift up your name and exalt your name and declare that Jesus Christ is Lord. Jesus Christ is Lord in our families. Jesus Christ is Lord in our bodies. Jesus Christ is Lord in this place right now and his will and his victory shall prevail in this place today in the name in the name in the name of Jesus in the name of Jesus in the name of Jesus in the name just stay steady for a moment in the name the name when you lift up that name when you honor and exalt the name When you honor and exalt the name, the Spirit of God is able to do things. He's able to move. The name, the name of Jesus. We've come to honor that name today, to lift up your name today. Jesus, 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 Jesus got sickness in your body right now, if you raise your hand where you are right now, we're not going to call you up. If you've got some sickness in your body you want to be free of, just lift your hands up. i got to believe there's more than that. <laughs> Don't be proud. Don't be proud. All right. Somebody, everybody around them as best you can, I want you to lay hands on them. Somebody in here dealing with depression, you raise your hand. Somebody dealing with an addiction, just raise your hand. If you see a hand raised around you in the balcony or anywhere else, make sure you've got your hand on them. Father, we come in the name of Jesus. We take the name, that name that's been given to us, and in the name of Jesus, We command this to leave their bodies. We command that spirit of affliction and infirmity to leave their bodies and to release their hold on their bodies. We command that addiction, that spirit to leave their bodies and to set them free, to release the hold on their mind, the hold on their bodies in the name of Jesus. We take authority over the spirit of depression and declare to you in the name of Jesus the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ shines brighter than you. And we command that light to shine through that darkness and to deliver them and to set them free. In the name of Jesus. Now just begin to say that name, Jesus. 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 Just just lower the, lower the music. Jesus. 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 Jesus, 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 Jesus. Thank you, Lord. 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 You may be seated. D2L or Jumpstart, if you haven't left by now, you're free to go. I was raised in a very intellectual household. I had a stepfather that was brilliant. Went to Princeton University at the age of 16. One of the most brilliant people I've ever known. And the family I was raised in valued everything that was intelligent, everything that was educated. 
to the point that still when I go into a doctor's office, the first thing I want to look at is where they go to school. Because in my thinking, this was ingrained in me, the better the school, the more intelligent the doctor, the better doctor he's going to be. That's not necessarily true. But it's taken years to break that hold over my mind. And I say that because to an intelligent, educated mind, what we just did is foolishness. How can standing together as a bunch of people on a Sunday morning in Seacock, Massachusetts, simply saying a name have any power or any effect? But God comments on this Himself. He said, because what the world considers is wise, I consider is foolish. And what the world considers is foolish, I consider is wise. And my wisdom is infinitely higher than the best wisdom of man. So some of you may be thinking, well, what good did that do? The name of Jesus, we're going to talk about the name this morning. So let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning for the freedom to be able to come and to worship you and to honor you. And we ask you to instruct us this morning. I've already spent time praying over this. We ask the Holy Spirit to breathe upon your word and make it become alive to us, not just as principles, not just as a teaching, not as theology, but a reality in our life. Open the eyes of our understanding of our heart. Father, your word says that that our eyes have not seen, our ears have not heard, nor has it entered into the hearts of men all that God has prepared for those who love him. But your spirit's been given to us to search the depths of your heart and reveal to us those things that you have freely given to us. And this morning we're asking the spirit to breathe on this word, to take from the depths of your heart and to deposit that revelation, that insight, that 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 light into our hearts that we might not just see this truth but it may begin to capture our hearts and govern our steps and for this we give you thanks in Jesus name Amen and Amen I had um, was planning to begin to do some teaching on Advent the coming of Christ which will but this is on this I was worshipping a few weeks ago and what I'm going to share with you just dropped in me and I'm been praying about whether to share it with you, and God just has His wonderful ways of confirming this. So we're going to talk a little bit about, begin with, about the story of the children of Israel when they were brought out of, out of Egypt. Um, you know the background, God cre- called this nation and created this nation of His own through Abraham, and in and, and about the time Abraham had a son and then a grandson and, and grand, great-grandkids, a famine was coming, and so God directed them to go into Egypt to provide during this famine, sent Joseph ahead, and that's a whole other story, story and series we could teach. And then God provided for them, and then He leads them down in there, because God always takes care of His people. I said, God always takes care of His people. Whether we have an inflation coming or chaos coming, God always takes care of His people whether the church is raptured before, during, or after the tribulation, God always takes care of His people. I'll try that over here. God always, God always, God always takes care of His people. But we don't always respond to what He's doing to take care of us. And so when their need for being down there was over, they just stayed because it was convenient. They just stayed because they were being fed by the Egyptians. Oh, I've got to be careful this morning <clears throat> because there's so many. Don't rely on the government to provide your needs because that's what they did and they became lazy. They stopped trusting in God and as a result they became slaves of the government. And when it finally got so bad, they cried out to God, and God was already had a deliverer, Moses, prepared to bring them out. And God, God supernaturally provided this way. So in, in, what does that have to do with us? 
Well, Egypt represents the world, the world system, the world's way of thinking, the world's way of doing. And they were one of the most intelligent, highly educated, highly scientifically developed uh, nation that's ever existed. They had methods of medical practice that our, our, our scientists are just still un- trying to understand and discover. They accomplished things that are mind-boggling with very little that we have today to do it. Those pyramids and the things that they constructed were amazing because they operated in the, the, almost the highest of human knowledge and understanding. But they worshipped over 2,000 gods. They were open to the demonic spirit's world to control and to influence them and to give them the wisdom that they used. And God's people had been living there for over 400 years. And now God's delivered them to bring them out. And part of the problem was to get, get Egypt out of His people, not just His people out of Egypt. And that's still part of God's challenge with the church. It's not just to get the church out of the world, it's to get the world out of the church. And so we, as we pick this story up, God has called Moses and prepared Moses and sent Moses into Egypt to tell the people that God's heard your cry and God's delivering your people. Well, now Pharaoh was not about to let them go. And so there's a battle between Pharaoh and God in which God performs ten dramatic miracles to set them free. The final which one is the destruction of every firstborn. And there's a significance to that. And again, God spared the firstborn of the Israelites, when they, when they partook of the Passover, which represents Christ's sacrifice, the blood of Christ over their doorposts. So God delivers them through the sacrifice of a lamb over for each household. And now they've been, sent, they've been freed. They're out in the wilderness, but they're not there yet. God has a land that He's promised to them called the promised land. And He's promised them that it's a land flowing of abundance, But there's some obstacles in the land. There's some nations still there. So now at the story we're looking at, they've come out of Egypt supernaturally, delivered them out of Egypt. Pharaoh sent them out. He was so disgusted, so angry. The people literally said the women threw jewelry at them as they left. How about that, ladies? They just, they, they, and in fact, some translations said they plundered Egypt. God gave them those riches, those gold and those jewels for a reason, not just so they can wear, walk around with bling every Sunday, but so they could use those to construct the tabernacle, a place of worship of God in the wilderness. So where we pick the story up, they've been delivered out of Egypt, but they're not yet in the land that God's promised them to. Between where they are and where they've got to go, there's a wilderness that they have to go through. Now, I'm summarizing a lot of things. There's scriptures that says that, that, that the, the journey from Egypt to where God promised them to go was a, less than a two-week journey. But that takes them 40 years to get there. Why? God said, I can't take them by the most direct route because I know them. And when they see the enemies that are on that route, they will run back to Egypt. So I've got to take them by a different route because I know that they do not know how to trust me and walk with me. So I've got to take them by a route that will train them to trust me so they can go into the land that I promised them. And God's doing something like that in your life right now. There may be a much shorter route to where God wants to get you, but you'll, you'll turn back because of the obstacles that are in your way. So God has to take you by a longer route that involves going through some things that God intends for you to grow in faith and trust in Him so that He can now entrust you with where God wants to send you. So the story, I'm still going to get to the story. (laughs) We're going to start in Exodus 14. So now they're out of Egypt. Well, they're not out of Egypt yet. They're out of Pharaoh's grasp. He's thrown them out, and they're on their way to what God's promised them. Hallelujah. Glory to God. I've been set free. I've been washed with the blood of the Lamb. Now that I'm saved, everything in my life is just going to go so well and so right. I've just got a clear path to the promised land. And they're out there marching, and all of a sudden they discover there's an obstacle in the way. How could there be an obstacle 
between where I was and where God wants to get me. How can there be? And the obstacle was a sea, the Red Sea. And it's in the way, and it's speaking to them, it's telling them, you can't. God said, go, and the Red Sea saying, you can't. There are things that are in your life right now that are telling you you can't. God's showing you things, promised you things. Peace, joy, victory, peace in your family. We just come through Thanksgiving, which can be some of the most stressful family times. Peace in your family, peace in your body, peace in your mind. These are things God's promised. But in many of our lives, there's a Red Sea there saying, you're never going to get there. I'm in your way. You're never going to get there. If that's not bad enough, Pharaoh's changed his mind. It says, the Bible says, God hardened his heart. I don't, I don't want to get into that. Read Romans chapter 9 if you want some understanding of it. Now Pharaoh's army has changed their mind. Why do we let them go? And they're bearing down on them. So here's the scene. You've got this whole, almost two million people that have lived for all this time in captivity, worshiping other gods. And they just want to be free. And they now God has sent a, a messenger to them to tell them, I'm setting you free. They believed Him and they've marched out and they saw these supernatural things that God did to deliver them. They've marched out and they're, all they can see is we're going to get into this land that God's promised them and now there's a major obstacle in their way telling them, you're never going to get there. You're never going to make it. And while they're stewing over that, they notice back on the horizon... There's, there's dust coming up and they can begin to feel the ground rumble. And they begin to realize this is Pharaoh's army, his chariots, 600 chariots. They were the most advanced, powerful army, at least in that part of the world at the time. And they're bearing down to destroy them. So they can't go this way and they're going to be destroyed coming this way. Any of you ever feel like that? Feel cornered? I've served God all these years and I just don't think I'm ever going to get there. And now these things are being torn up in my life. I don't understand what's going on. I come to church, I, 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 I give my tithes, I do all that's right, I pray, and, and this is, I'm caught. God, help me! God, how come you're not answering? I'm glad you asked. <laughs> Let's look at Exodus 14, I've summarized some of this. Let's go over to... Um, so they cry out, the people cry out to Moses and said, why have you brought us out? I love this. this is, let's go to verse uh, 10. And when Pharaoh drew near, the children of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians marched after them. So they were very afraid. I can understand that. And the children of Israel cried out to the Lord and they said to Moses, because there were no graves in Egypt, you brought us out here to die? Well, they wanted to get out. This is what happens when you get scared and offended. We start accusing everybody around us of why, the situation that we're in. There's a crucial decision here they've got to make. All right? Because there's no graves in Egypt, you've taken us out to die in the wilderness? Why have you dealt so with us to bring us out of Egypt? Is this not the word which you gave to us in Egypt, saying, let us, didn't we say, let us alone, that we may serve the Egyptians? That's not what they said at all. But when you get scared, and you begin to turn on God, and you begin to turn on the leaders God's put in your life, you're capable of saying and doing anything. For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians. Then why did you want to get out? then we should die in the wilderness. Now look at Moses. Moses is a man of God. He's seen God. Moses said to the people, so the people are wrong, but we're going to see where Moses was wrong too. This is what God began to show me the other day. And Moses said to the people, don't be afraid. Stand still. Don't panic. 
and we're going to see the salvation of the Lord which He will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall see no more forever, and the Lord will fight for you, and you shall hold your peace. Pastor says, be still. I know there's a lot going on right now. I know we've come through a pandemic. I know a lot of scary things happen. But God's going to deliver us. God's going to set us free. God's going to... But look what God says something. That's what Moses said. Verse 15. This is the whole crux of this message. And the Lord said to Moses, Why are you crying out to me? Now get the scene again. God... <laughs> You've told us you want to get us to a promised land. And we're, we're, we're happy about that. We want to come, okay? You've given me these two million rebellious people, and you've given me this job to get them there. And so now we're out here, and, but you forgot about... You forgot about this Red Sea. And now the Pharaoh that you told us that you delivered us from, he's now turning on us. Let's bring it in today. God, I gave my life to you. I've done everything I know to serve you. And I'm trying to get what you, what you want in my life for my family and, and for me and for this church. And, and <laughs> it's not getting anywhere. People don't show up when they're supposed to show up. People don't do what they're supposed to do. So how can, I, how can we go there And oh my goodness, now the enemy's tearing my fat life up. God, won't you save us and won't you do what you said you'd do? And God says to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Lift up your rod and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it. God, wait a minute. We have to have a conversation about this. I'm a human being, okay, and you're God. Okay, human beings can't part the water, but you can, so go do it. And God says, no, you do it. I can't do that, you do it, it's impossible. What situations are in your life right now that look impossible to you, telling you that it's not going to work, telling you that your prayers are not going to be answered? Is it a family member or more than one? Is it a need of a job? What is it in your life that's telling you, talking to you, telling you it's got control over you? God said to Moses, no, you've got to do something. Why are you crying out to me? Why would God say that? Because God's already told them to go into the wilderness. And it's not as if God forgot about the Red Sea and didn't think about it. But God wants Moses to begin to exercise that authority that God has given him. So God says to Moses, stretch out your rod, that's going to become important to us, over the sea, and you part it. <laughs> But we can't do that. But that's the very lesson. God's given to the church, that's you and me, the responsibility to do things in this world that are impossible to do. That are impossible to do. Jesus did them all the time. He did things that were impossible. He walked on water. Human beings can't do that. But Peter did. Peter did it by looking at Jesus. Instead of thinking what he couldn't do, he had his eyes on Jesus. You know, it's interesting. I thought about this years ago. Jesus never criticized his disciples for trying to believe too much. Never. He only ever criticized them for not believing enough. For setting their goals too low not too high. But religion will tell you, oh, you can't do that. Don't set your goals so high. Don't think you can be free of that addiction. Don't think you can be free of that habit. Don't think you can, because, well, you know, you can't do that. 
talks to you. This Red Sea is telling them. So the Red Sea is telling them, you can't get there. And God's telling them, I told you to go there. See, we, we want... I, I, <laughs> I've been in this battle with the Lord before in ministry, where, Lord, you've told us me to do something, and everything in my life is telling me I can't. You've got to solve one of these. You've got to move one of them. Either you get those voices telling me I can't to stop, or you change what you called me to do, and God just says, I've told you to do it. There's a tension there. And that's where we grow, is in that tension. So God says, so God's given Moses a responsibility to do something that for a human being looks impossible. So let's find out what happens. So Moses has a choice to make. He can either go on Facebook and begin to ask other people what their opinion is. He can start calling a number of prayer lines, and those are good. But God has said to him, Why are you crying out to me? Tell the children of Israel to go forward. God, they're already mad at me. They're accusing me of bringing them out against their will. They're already talking about going back, and you're telling me to tell them to go through this Red Sea? I don't know about that. Lift up your rod, stretch out your hand over the sea, and divide it, and the children of Israel shall go on dry land through the midst of the sea. And I will indeed harden the hearts of the Egyptians, and they will follow them, so that they will gain honor. I will gain honor over Pharaoh and over all the army and chariots and his horsemen, that the Egyptians may know that I am the Lord, and I will gain honor for myself over Pharaoh, his chariots and his horsemen. That's what's at stake is the honor and glory of God. I'm preaching to myself this morning. When the church is intimidated, when the church is intimidated by what looks impossible, we, the church gives very little glory to God. When the church responds and reacts to the crisis of the world the same way the world does, it gives very little glory and honor to God. But when the people of God stand up and instead of crying out to Him, they move forward with what God's given us to do. And then they, the enemy's schemes are destroyed, then God gets the honor. God didn't get the honor with the people that were sick in Jesus' day. He got the honor when Jesus healed them. When blind eyes were opened, impossible things happened. A man with a withered hand, God just, Jesus just said, stretch it out, and it became whole as the other. And people glorify God. God's honor, God's glory is really what's at stake. And we complain about the darkness of the world. We complain about the pressure and everything that's going on in the world. And we cry out, God, why? And God's saying, but I've given you what you need. I've given you what I need you to exercise. Oh, I've got to move on. So go to verse 21. And here's the key. In spite of what it looked like to Moses, in spite of what it felt like, in spite of what God told him that looked like it was impossible, Moses obeyed what God said. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord caused the sea to go back. Wait a minute, I thought God said he, Moses was to do it. See, Moses has a part to play, and then God has a part to play. Yes, Moses cannot part that sea. But Moses has to exercise what God's given him, and then God can back that up and part the Red Sea. The Lord caused the sea to go back by a strong wind all night, and made the sea into dry land, and the waters were divided. So the children of Israel went down into the midst of the sea on dry ground, and the waters were a wall to them on the right and on the left. And the Egyptians pursued after them, after in the midst of the sea, and all of Pharaoh's horses and chariots come in. I've got to summarize it now. And then God tells, once they're in there, their wheels start falling off, and they slows them down, and then God says, Moses, stretch your hand out again, and Moses stretches his hand out, and the sea comes in and swallows up their enemy. 
So a day or so earlier, they're in this situation where they're trying to go where God's called them to go. There's an obstacle that says, I can't get there, and the enemy's bearing down on them to destroy them. And when Moses does what God tells him to do and takes what God's put in his hand and exercises it, God does the supernatural, parts the sea. Two million people go across on dry land, and now on the other side, God has him hold that same rod up and hand out there, and now their enemy is destroyed forever. So maybe instead of complaining about how much the devil's after you, giving him glory and honor and attention, which he loves, maybe we need to learn to exercise or use what God's given us. We're going to talk about that in a minute. So let's bring this forward into the New Testament. 1 John 3, verse 8, which we're going to talk about why Jesus came. Oh, I know He came to die and pay for our sins, and I'm not belittling that, but He could have done that, he could have done that in one day. Jesus could have come, grown up as a man, and at age 30, go to the cross, die, and pay for our sins. So the other three and a half years were for some purpose. Whose sins is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifest, was made known, came. For this purpose, the Son of God came that He might destroy the works of the devil. For this purpose, the Son of God came to destroy the works of the devil. I've just felt as I've been praying more and more in here, God opening my eyes to see the works of Satan in people's lives. Families that are being ripped apart by strife and, 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 and people's bodies being ripped, torn up by disease. Jesus came to redeem us from all of Satan's works because God cares about His creation. He cares about you. There's a man that I've been ministering to who lives in a tent. And I've just been following God's leading in, in ministering to him. And my heart's been opened up. And, it, and this is man who, for circumstances beyond his control, his life has amounted to living in a tent. And that's not God's will for his life. That's the, I don't know the story of how he got there. And I'm sure all of you have somebody you know of that's in situations like that. Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. Luke chapter 4, verse 18. This is the commission that he was given and the commission given to the church. We want to sing about the Holy Spirit. We love the Holy Spirit. But this is why he's given. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because this is Jesus talking. He's anointed me to preach the gospel. That means good news to the poor. And that's not just financially poor. That's spiritually poor. He has sent me to heal the broken-hearted, people that have suffered loss, people who are discouraged, people whose hearts have been hurt or injured, whether it was because of how they grew up or whether other people have done it to them, to heal the broken-hearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, keep going, and to set at liberty those who are oppressed and to declare the acceptable year of the Lord, the year of Jubilee. Well, let's look at an example of how he did this. Luke chapter 13. Now he's teaching one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. Behold, there was a woman who had a spirit of infirmity 18 years. Stop there. And she was bent over and could in no ways raise herself up. So let's bring this into the 21st century. Anybody looking at her, any medical person looking at her says she's got some kind of severe arthritis or some disease of her spine, maybe a rheumatoid arthritis, maybe just an arthro, whatever is arthritis. And so that's why she can't bang up. Jesus recognized there was a spirit behind it. Oh, but that's foolishness. But Jesus recognized there was a spirit behind it. Oh, but pastor, that's all, you know, this, we're talking 2,000 years ago. We're more modern than that. But Jesus, Amen. Jesus 
recognized that there was a spirit of infirmity and he said, woman, you are loosed from your infirmity. So that infirmity, the fact that she was bound up and bent over, troubled him. He had compassion on her. And Jesus said about himself, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I only do what I see my Father do. I only say what I hear my Father say. So this is God the Father through Christ, moved by her and firm that she is bound up by this physical condition caused by a spirit. And we're going to see what he says about that. Go on. And he laid his hands on her and immediately she was made straight and she, look what she did. What did we say this is all about? And she glorified God. So God got glory as his character and nature and compassion was revealed in the delivering her from the work that Satan had done in her body. But now the religious people get involved. He didn't do it the right way. He didn't do it at the right time. Keep going. But the ruler of the synagogue, the only people, only people Jesus got mad at were those religious people that tried to interfere with God bringing His deliverance to people's lives. The ruler of the synagogue answered with indignation because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, had no caring for the woman. He said to the crowd, there are six days in which men ought to work, therefore come and be healed on them, as if he could do it, and not on the Sabbath. And the Lord answered him and said, and this is not a compliment, you hypocrite. He was not always gentle with people. He wouldn't make it as a pastor today. It would be all over Facebook, all over social media. I mean, CNN would be here talking about him. Jesus called the other... He called people hypocrites. He called them worse than that. Does not each one of you on the Sabbath loosen his ox or donkey from the stall and lead him away to water? Don't you feed your animals on the Sabbath? Keep going. So ought not this woman who's a daughter of Abraham. Did you lose it? Over, over here. Okay. It tells you how much the devil doesn't like this. <laughs> Whom Satan has bound, think of it, for 18 years. It went out, it turned off. For 18 years. Ought not this woman to be freed who's been bound by the devil these 18 years, this is why he came, to deliver those who were bound. Matthew chapter 10, verse 5. Now Jesus is commissioning his disciples to go do what he did. These twelve disciples sent out and commanded them, saying, Do not go to that way of the Gentiles. Do not enter the city of the Samaritans. There's, another, there's a reason for that. But go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And as you go, preach, saying, listen carefully to this, the kingdom of heaven is here. It's at hand. And this is how we're going to show you that the kingdom of heaven, this is what the kingdom of heaven is like. Heal the sick. Cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons. Freely you've received, freely give. Now this is not Jesus now. This is His disciples that He is calling on to go take the message and the works that He's done and to go and to begin to do what Jesus did. Why? To just demonstrate what the kingdom of heaven is like the Lord's Prayer that we all know so well. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Not when Jesus comes back. Jesus told them to pray it now. Your kingdom come into their lives. Your will be done in their life. God's kingdom came into that synagogue that morning. God's kingdom came into the life of that woman who'd been bent over for 18 years. God's kingdom set her free. God's kingdom delivered her. 
Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons, freely receive, freely give. Wait, wait, that sounds an awful lot like the Red Sea. Yeah, Lord, you, yeah, you, those are the things you're to do. But the church is here just to make people feel good, just to minister to one another, and that's, we are here to that. But we're here just so we can feel good and safe and love one another, and we are here to do that. But His kingdom is much bigger than that. It's not learning how to help people cope. I read this in a book this week. <laughs> Jesus didn't teach people how to cope with disease. He didn't show, and I'm not saying we shouldn't help people, but we set the standard too low. Jesus didn't help blind people find a seeing eye dog. But that's Jesus. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons. Freely you've received, freely give. I've got to move on. Jesus as God delivered Israel as God, just as God excuse me just as God delivered Israel from slavery and bondage of Egypt and destroyed their enemy so the death burial and resurrection of Jesus listen carefully defeated Satan's power and authority over this earth and provides deliverance from his bondage and we the church have been commissioned as his body to enforce that victory over the lives of others Although the victory has been won, it has to be enforced. In Exodus 14, we just looked at, God required Moses to exercise, take something that he'd been given and exercise that over the obstacle and then God backed it up with his power. So let's see. Okay, what was this rod? Does the church have a rod as Moses was having a rod? We do. John 14. Verse 12. Jesus, this is, these are so precious words because this is Jesus in his last conversation with his disciples before he goes. This is the, this is the final deposit he's going to make in them before he goes to the cross. Most assuredly I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, will he do also, and greater works than he, these will he do. Now I've read many commentaries. Oh, the greater works is getting people saved. That's great. Okay. But we're not doing the works. Don't start to bait the greater works. Well, the greater work, the works is getting people saved. But Jesus did more than that. We just read what He did. We just read what He told them to do. And see, we, 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 we water it down to meet our experience instead of having our experience challenged by His words. And by doing that, the church has lost its power. I did a series earlier this year, Where's the Beef? On that old commercial, the Wendy's commercial, where the women's order this hamburger and it's this big bun. The bun looks great on the outside. The church looks like a big bun on the outside. We have all the things we need, but you open it up, where's the beef? The hamburger's not about the bun, it's about the beef. Where's the power? Where's the deliverance? This is preaching to me. The works that I do shall he do also, and greater works shall he do, because I go to my Father. Keep going. And here's the, here's the key. And whatever you ask in my name, that I will do. So he's giving the disciples something to use. He's giving them a rod, just as Moses had a rod to use. Whatever you ask in my name, that I will do. And in John 16, we're not going to look there, Jesus said, you can just, you say it in my name and I'll do it. The word ask there is important because there's two basic Greek words for ask. This is a word that implies demanding something. Oh, we can't demand something of God, but He tells us to. Whatever you ask, whatever you demand, whatever you assert in my name, I will make sure it's done. So he was telling his disciples that where he had been their source of their power, he was now taking his name and giving it to them. Now, 
to our Western mind and culture, that doesn't mean as much. But in, in Eastern culture, especially in that time, your name represented who you were. So when, 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 when Jacob has a confrontation with the angel of God and wrestled with him all night, what does that angel do when, when, when Jacob is victorious? He changes his name. From Jacob, which meant deceiver, to Israel, which means prince of God. When God entered into a covenant with Abram, Abram, he changed his name to Abraham. And we don't have time to go into it, but God literally inserted his name in the middle of Abraham's name. Then he changed Sarah's name. God changed Saul's name. When he gave him a new authority, he changed his name to Paul. Barnabas' name was a changed name. So the name represents who you are. It represents your authority. The closest thing we can grasp with that in our culture, in ours, is, is a, is a, is a um, power of attorney. My mother's 98. She lives in a nursing home, and unfortunately she has severe dementia. So when this was beginning, I, made, I, made, I received from her a power of attorney. So I signed her tax returns, Checks, I sign everything in her name. It's as if she is signing it. So I sign it with all the authority that she would have had in that situation. Full authority. It has to be exercised with responsibility and accountability. So Jesus is giving them their, his name. Now let's go to Acts chapter 3. We're going to skip over something. So now this is Peter on his way into the temple going by this many times and he's going by there's a man begging fixing his eyes on him with John Peter asks look at us the man's begging for alms he says look at us go ahead so he gave them his attention expecting to receive something from them and Peter said silver and gold I don't have but what I do have, I give you. So he had something, just as Moses had the rod. What I do have, I give you. In the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and prayed over him and said, God, please heal this man and help him to stand up. That's not what he did at all. He took him by the right hand and lifted him up and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. So he didn't pray for him the way we think praying is. He spoke in the name of Jesus for him to do something that was impossible. Why are you crying out to me? Take the rod that's in your hand and hold it out over. Now, word of caution here. Don't leave here today and go down to Rhode Island Hospital and walk down the corridors and start doing this because Jesus had walked past this man because he was there every day. So the Spirit of God got his attention and said, it is your day. This was being led by the Spirit. Jesus only did what he heard his Father, only did what he saw his Father do. So whatever Jesus did, to heal people. It was what he saw his father doing. So make sure if you go down to Rhode Island Hospital, you don't tell him what church... No. <laughs> you know, you know God told you to do it. But before you do that, come check with us <laughs> to make sure it's God. Or don't tell him where you came from. All right, verse 8. So leaping up, he stood and walked and entered the temple, walking in place. And look, look who gets the glory. And God gets the glory. Remember, the whole purpose of all of this is that his kingdom can come. His will can be done. And he can get the glory and the honor that the world is, can't see right now. All they see is darkness. And all they see is destruction. And they see a church that is powerless the church that they can ignore and dismiss. 
Because all we do is fight with each other. Verse 9. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. I've got to move, we've got to move on. Okay. So it, the rod we've been given is his name. The rod we've been given is his name. Let's go to Exodus 3. The question then is, okay, Pastor, I've prayed in his name. I've spoken in his name. And I have too. And nothing happened. Ever do that? Or am I the only one? You always get an answer when you use his name? Three of you are like me. The rest of you, you need to come up here and preach. <laughs> You're liars. <laughs> so I've been frustrated. How come it's not working? Well, let's go back and look at where Moses got this rod from. Because maybe there's something to learn from this. Now we're going to go to Exodus of, yeah, 3, verse 9. Right, yeah, okay. Therefore now, behold, the cry of Israel, this is God speaking to Moses. This is when he called him. The cry of Israel has come to me, and I have seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Next verse. Come now, therefore, and I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Keep going. But Moses said, <laughs> Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh? He's looking at himself. I don't have anything that would cause him to listen to me, that I should bring the children of Israel out of Egypt. Next verse. And he said, Certainly I will be with you, and this shall be a sign to you that I've sent you. When you've brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Now let's go down to chapter 4, verse 1. And Moses said, but suppose they don't believe me or listen to my voice. He's looking at himself. What if they don't? What if they don't? God just said, I'll be with you. What if they don't listen to me or not believe me to listen to my voice? Suppose they say, the Lord's not listening. Who of you have heard from the Lord? The Lord's not said that to you. We're not going out. The Lord said, what's in your hand? He says, that's a rod. Okay, cast it to the, this is very important now, cast it to the ground, and when he did that, now the rod, he's a shepherd. This is what he's used, this is very common to him. It's what he's used as a shepherd with the sheep, because he was a shepherd over his father-in-law's sheep in Midian. And God says, throw it down. And when he throws it down, it becomes a serpent. Now what does a serpent represent in the Bible? Some of you know this. Sin. So the rod, when he throws it down, turns into, the sin in it manifests. Something he relied upon and trusted in, but he had a trust in that rod, and God needed to get the trust in the rod out of him so that it could become the rod of God, not the rod of Moses. So he throws it down, and it becomes a serpent, And he runs from it. Moses fled from it. And the Lord said to Moses, reach out your hand and take it, pick it up. But he's specific. He doesn't say just pick it up. Pick it up by the tail. Now I had a brother, my youngest brother, raised snakes. And I don't mean garter snakes. I mean pythons and boa constrictors. And you learn if you're around snakes that when you pick them up, you pick them up right behind the head. Because the head is the business part of them. If you've got a grip of them, some of you are cringing already. If you've got a grip on them behind their head, they can wrap all around you they want, but they can bite you because you've got a hold of them behind the head. So the only smart thing to do is if you're going to even pick a snake up, is to get it by the head and pick it up. But God says, no, pick it up by the tail. That's the worst place to pick it up. Don't you know that? Because not only, not only, now the snake not only knows that you're there, he knows where your hand is because it's the other end of him. And it's the easy thing to swing back and bite him. But God was training him just like God's training some of you, more of you than you think, to trust him. God says, I'm telling you to pick the snake up by the tail. Moses had trusted in this rod and God's bringing, getting the sin out of what he trusted in so that God could use that rod to deliver the people. And Moses obeys him. That's the key. And the moment he obeys him, next verse. Oh, is it, oh you know, go back, verse 4. 
and the Lord reached out your by the hand, and he reached out his hand and caught it, and it became a rod in his hand again. And Moses uses this rod to perform the miracles to get them out of Egypt, and Moses uses this rod to hold out over the sea, and then God backs him up with the rod. Now let's bring that over to the rod that the church has been given, which is the name of Jesus. And the question is, why is that not working? when Jesus gave it to us for it to work and as power over the enemy. Why is it not working? Is it perhaps for the same reason that Moses' rod had to be, Moses had to be delivered from things in his rod? Is it possible that there's sin in the way we use the name of Jesus? So, Pastor, how could there be sin? Well, do we use it casually? Is it just the name we tack on at the end of our prayer so we can eat? In Jesus' name, let's eat. As I said, names are very significant. The Hebrews, when God gave them a name, a sacred name, which is Yahweh, it came to the point that we wouldn't pronounce it. To say His name on their lips, he was so, His name was so holy. One of the commandments is to not take his name in vain. And that's not just swearing. In vain means you don't consider anything. Do we really reverence that name? Maybe the reason it doesn't have power on our lips is because it doesn't have power over to us. Maybe that name is not an authority to us yet, so it won't be an authority through us. And then Moses had to be taught to trust it. Peter says there, when he's asked later on, how did you do that? He said, not by our piety. Not by any great power we have. It was by the name and faith in the name. When you speak that name, do you really expect the demons to leave? Do you really expect something to happen when you speak that name? I'm talking to me. You're listening in. We'll close with, with Philippians chapter 2. Verse 9. Familiar verses. This is how Jesus got his, this name that has all the power. Therefore God had highly exalted him and given him a name that's above every name. So God's given him a name and above means authority. That's above every name. Keep going. A name that, that in the name of Jesus every knee shall bow. That's, to, that's acknowledging authority. In heaven. His name is revered in heaven. Of those on the earth, and look at this, and of those under the earth. That's the demonic realm. He's been given a name that has authority in heaven, on the earth, and even under the earth then how come... Well, let's go back to verse 5. Maybe there's an answer here, and this is what we'll end with. We talk about, oh, I have the mind of Christ. Well, this is His mind. See, in order for His name to work, we have to be in tune with Him. We have to be in tune with His heart, with His motives. Jesus said, His key was, I only do what I see my Father do. I only say. Just put that as your standard for a day. Try going through the rest of the day. The only thing you say is what Jesus would say. We've got a life group that I'm leading, a great group. They're doing a great job. Based on this book, In His Steps, and the whole premise is it's a group of people in church got together and said, well, let's for a year covenant with each other. We will only make the decisions in our life based on what Jesus would do. What would Jesus do? WWJD. What if you just made it to say, I'm only going to say. I'm only going to say. Only going to say. So Jesus only said and only did what He saw. He was the perfect representation of His Father. And that's what the church is to be. We're to be the perfect representation of Jesus whose body we are. 
And we try to operate in that authority. It doesn't work. Why? Because our heart's not tuned into His. Our motives are. James said it this way. You have not because you ask not. But most of you have not because you ask amiss for it, serve it on your, to get it on your own pleasures and your own motives. The reason we'd be given this name is to glorify Him. To see His kingdom come. His will be done. Not that your mashed potatoes are blessed. Not that we shouldn't do that. Okay. So, have this mind in you which also is in Christ. So this was His mind. This was His attitude that we're to have. Next verse. Who being in the form of God did not consider robbery to be equal with God. That word actually means he did not, although he was God, he did not consider, he did not choose to hold on to his rights and privileges as God. And yet that's what so much of the church is trying to do today. Assert their rights, my rights, my privileges, who I am. Jesus emptied himself. That literally in the Greek it says he emptied himself of all of his divine attributes. He was still God, but he emptied himself of his glory. He emptied himself of his majesty. He emptied himself of his own power, of his own authority, and operated when he was here under the power and authority of the Holy Spirit, whom he's now sent to be in you. Taking the form, and this is key, of a bondservant. His whole heart and attitude was He came to serve us. What was the last thing He showed His disciples? He washed their feet. He performed the the role of a menial servant. The Son of God stooped down and washed their smelly, dirty feet as a parable for what He was about to do before 24 hours was up on that cross. Peter's reaction, oh, you're God. You shouldn't wash my feet. And Jesus said, if you don't let me serve you, you have no place with him. Have this mind in you. He came as a bond servant to serve. We are called to serve one another. Serve one another by laying aside our own rights, our own needs, our own concerns, and by taking on the burden of other people. Coming in the likeness of men. Verse 8. And being found in the appearance of man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus said, if you're going to be my disciples, you have to deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. Well, how am I denying? You know, what, what, is, what does that mean to me? It may mean forgiving somebody. To forgive somebody is to take their burden on you and free them of it because you've released them by taking it on you. But they did something to me. We did all kinds of things to him. The most powerful scene in the Bible to me, one of them, is Jesus hanging on the cross after they'd beaten him so he was unrecognizable as a human being, having nailed him there, and his words to his fathers, forgive them because they don't know what they've done. They don't understand. We've got to bring this to a close. So what are you facing today? What are we facing as a church, the church, of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're facing a world right now that's going to hell in a handbasket. We're facing people's lives are being destroyed, chewed up, bound by th- opiate addiction in this part of the country is, 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 a, is an epidemic. People's lives controlled by heroin and, other, and cocaine and other things. And they're not just people down in the streets. Some of the wealthiest people I knew were con- where their lives were in bondage to alcohol, to things, to, to things that have control of their bodies and they can't get free. And they're all around us. And we come to church singing, praise the Lord. And that's right, we need to praise Him. But we're called to go out into that world with the rod that we've been given and not to look at situations. That looks impossible. How can that ever turn around? How can that person ever be free? They've been doing this their whole life. That woman had been bound 18 years. Family members been praying for them for years and no change it seems to get worse so we're tempted to say it's just impossible it's a sea it's a red sea what do you have in your hand what has Jesus given you to put in your mouth to begin to speak over their lives to begin to command those demonic forces to leave but I don't see anything I don't care 
Where's the beef? Paul said to the church at Corinth, and I've got to end here, I did not come to you, and he could have, with enticing words of man's power, but I came to you in the demonstration and power of the Holy Spirit. This is our call as a church. This is our call as Christians to go out into a dark world and to bring the glory of Christ through the power of Christ. So we're called to love people, yes, but the greatest way you can love them is to see them set free. Let's pray. Father, your word teaches us that when we find something, we hear something, then we know we've fallen short. We're to confess it to you. So, Father, I confess to you that in my own life, I have not walked in this the way I should have. And as a pastor here, I've not taught this. We've settled in many ways for coping with what's going on in the world around us, what's going on in family around us, what's going on in people's lives around us. We've settled and we've learned how to cope and we've learned how to accept where things are and just look to the future. But you're calling your church to wake up. You're calling your church to come back to what it is that we've been given to do. You're calling your church to take the rod that you've been given to us. And you're saying to us, why are you crying out to me? Take what I've given you and hold it out over that circumstance and I will part it. I will deliver it. But you have to hold it out first. You have to speak it first. And so, Father, we just come to you as humbly as we know and confess to you what we've not done and ask you for your mercy. Your word says that we can come boldly to a throne of grace to receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Your church is in a need right now. And so fill us with your spirit. Help us to grab hold of what you've given to us. Show us where the sin may be in how we've treated his name. And help us to walk in the faith in that name that causes the lame to walk, the blind to see, demons to flee, and your kingdom to come and to be glorified. So we pray today, Father in heaven, holy is your name, your kingdom come, your will be done in this earth, in this place, in our lives, as it is in heaven. Amen. If you're here this morning, maybe there's somebody here this morning or watching online, and you've never, you've never given your life to Christ. You may have been raised in church, you may have been raised in, around church, or maybe you just were never in church, but, 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 and you've heard about Jesus, and you may, yeah, I know He's the Son of God, I know, I know He came to die for our sins, I know all that, Pastor. Well, I knew that for 30-some years, and it never changed my life. It was when I realized that I had to receive Jesus into my life as my Savior, personally that he was alive and he was real and he wanted to come into my life and begin to change and transform my life from the inside. That's the good news of the gospel. And if you're here this morning and you've never received that Christ, I want to pray for you this morning. I just need you to let me know by raising your hand. I'm not going to embarrass you, but I want to pray for you. If you're watching online, you don't need to raise your hand, but you need to identify that's who you are because we're going to all pray together in just a moment.